Welcome to Simple Tech Talk, innovative topics and creative introductions to the marketplace. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, so good to be back with you. And today I am absolutely honored to have the one and only Shelby Wright in studio. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Shelby is a good friend. She is a seasoned marketer and advertiser, and she works with the Southeast's favorite team. I'll let you make a guess. Starts with buh and end with old dogs. Is yes, that what you're talking about? That's that it. Okay. Yes. The Georgia Bulldogs. And Correct. I wanna I wanna go ahead and, and apologize to all the people that have it wrong in life and cheer for other teams. I know, I'm sad for them. Yeah, me too. So sad. All we can do is pray for them though, Shelby. We can't bless their hearts. <laughs> bless as, their hearts. As they say in the South. Exactly. But Shelby has graced us with her presence and we're gonna talk about what UGA is doing with their Bulldog game day experience, right? How they're engaging fans, where the fans are, when they are, and who they are as people, right? Because as you know, it's all about addressing the individual that you want to talk to on a personable and personalized level. That's a whole lot of person in one sentence. It's a whole lot of person in one sentence. But people, as I like to say, we're the only league, stick and ball league, college sports to me is a league, just like MLB or NFL. We're the only league that graduates new fans and new people every year. So that demographic is constantly changing and that the, the ability to pivot and maneuver and capture those different people with their personalities and their demographics and psychographics, that's really the cool part about using sports as a lens and marketing to amplify any type of messaging that a partner might have. So how did you get into the collegiate sports marketing world? Because everybody wants to do it, right? But only a select few are chosen. Only a select few are, cho- are chosen, but then only a select few don't opt out. Um, so for me, I was entering the University of Georgia in 1992. Um, family business is pest control. And so was always used to working and having a job. And that was going to be no different in college. This was before the Hope Scholarship. And so... Um, My father was very active in the DeKalb County Bulldog Club when I was growing up, and so he suggested I go talk to Claudia Osteen, who at the time was one of the leaders of the Georgia Bulldog Club, who did season tickets, those types of things. And so went to meet with her, and she didn't have a position open, but she sent me downstairs to Sports Information, which is now Media Relations Sports Communication, And it was a Monday, and I remember distinctly that I had a resume. I had been editor of my yearbook and on the newspaper staff and all these other things. And uh, Claude Felton, who is still the head of sports communication, he's kind of the elder statesman of college sports communications, was in charge. And he sat me down and looked looked over my resume and said, okay, great, you're hired. Um, we're going to leave for a press conference and we'll be back in two hours if you could just sit here and answer the phone. So therein became the beginning of my career in sports. Um, didn't really think that's what was going to happen. I actually had a class that I should have been going to, but I just ended up skipping that class and staying the whole time. Um, answered phones, ran stats, produced the yearbooks and media guides at the time help support uh, gymnastics and volleyball. And then my sophomore year had the opportunity to go and work in Coach Dooley's office. Oh, wow. He was the athletic director. And so that was a phenomenal experience that I wouldn't trade for anything. 
and that was in the build-up to the 96 Olympics as well. So it was not only the UGA side of the house, but also all the things that UGA was going to be doing in conjunction with ACOG and the Olympic Games. And so that was my start. I left it for a little while to do fundraising special events, and I was a wedding and event planner for about 10 years. And then decided to pivot back and want to do things that I was, you know, kind of more passionate about and became the marketing manager of a hotel in Athens. And we became sponsors of George, what is what, what, what is now Georgia Bulldog Sports Marketing, but at the time was under the auspices of a company called ISP. And so through that partnership, I got to know this side of sports and ultimately joined the team in December of 2010. What well, is now I, I, IMG College and has now since morphed again to Learfield IMG College. Wow, that's that's a heck of a story. It's a weird story, but yeah. But it's I, your story. But it's, it's an amazing yeah, story. But here I am. Yeah, so here I am. So I've worked on both the strategic side of, from a company perspective, because when I first joined the company, we were in acquisition mode. So we were adding, comp- we were adding partners and universities and bowls and those types of things. So worked with our chief sales and marketing officer and then some consultants that were brought in and then ultimately shifted to sales. First went to the University of Tennessee led by the great and powerful Steve Early, who I think is one of the best GMs in the business Hmm. and was there for three years and then returned to Georgia the fall of 2016. What are some lessons that you used as you worked for the Vols and brought to the Bulldogs? So I think the number one lesson is what I learned from the consultants, ADC partners. If you could ever talk to them, I'd highly recommend it. Um, They do some consultancy with Learfield IMG now. The first thing that that they taught me was strategy before tactics. And that leads any and all discussions that I have with a marketing partner. So that and information is currency. I think those two are my pillars that I start any conversation with a partner. So strategy before tactics, again, let's figure out what you're trying to achieve, who you're trying to reach, and then is that a fit? And I think saying no sometimes, people don't expect that when you're in a quote sales role, but that's the definition of being a good partner is saying, no, I don't think this is a fit. Because otherwise it's, you're making false promises all along and you're never gonna be able to renew that business or grow that partnership because it wasn't a good fit to begin with. Um, information as currency is just that. I mean, yes, I work in sports, but every morning I'm reading what's going on in the stock market, what's going on in the tech sector, what's going on in politics. I mean, we have an election year going on. Mm. So, I mean, all of those things factor into all of our partners' decisions as to where they place their marketing dollars or their cause and community relations. You know, are they pivoting and moving away from a sports platform? Are they moving toward different things? So, again, you have to be very well-rounded and understand what's going on at large, because if you sell on wins and losses, that's not a great position to be in. I mean, to me, I sell more on, does our demographic match up with what you're trying to look, you know, what, what you're trying to achieve and who you're trying to reach? And if so, great, let's talk about that and dive into that relationship. But if it doesn't, let's not waste each other's time for me to try and push you into something that may or may not be a fit. Absolutely, that's fantastic insight. I really want to dive into maybe a side of Vince Dooley that none of us have heard of or, or seen. Mm-hmm. But before we get to that, you talked about pivoting given mm-hmm. you know certain circumstances. We're in an election year. We also happen to be in the year of 2020. 
uh, which has or been all bets are off. <laughs> really interesting. Yeah, I don't know if there's any such thing as a sure bet in 2020. Nope. Um, with that said, in the marketing and advertising space, that's an extra wrench in the spokes. What has this pandemic done for sports, and what is it helping you to realize as a marketer? So I, I think that's definitely a two-part question. For me, 2020 has made me realize how much people miss the escapism of sports, mm. um, that myself included. I mean, to hear the crack of the bat at a Braves game would be fantastic. So to, to miss that is has been certainly strange. I mean, my boyfriend and I sat down and watched Ukrainian table tennis one day in a cornhole tournament because we were starved for some type of, you know, sporting activity or event that we could watch to just kind of take our minds off of all that is going on right now. Um, from a marketing perspective, I think it's been unique in that I, I pride myself on listening to my partners as to what they need and, and bringing opportunities to them, but also just checking in and saying, how are you doing? How are things going? I know you're strained resources right now or you're considered essential workers. How are you guys doing? How are you managing this whole thing? Because if if you only talk to partners, and this used to be my pet peeve when I was on the buying side, if you only talk to people when you're selling them something and you never check in before, during, after that sale occurs, that's not a partnership. That's a transaction. And Amen. that's a very different relationship P- will you, than will we're, you please, we're trying to build. <laughs> please say that louder for the people in the back. <laughs> sure. Um, there's a difference between a relationship and a transaction. A relationship is a two-way street and listening to your partner. And for me, that's checking in all the time, understanding what makes them tick, what makes their business tick, knowing their, you know, their spouse's name or their kids' names or what they're passionate about and, and sending them touch points that aren't sales related. Um, because if you're just talking to them when you sell something, that's a transaction and that transactional business while fine is not to me the backbone of a strong business model absolutely you know when you're talking about engagement and not being a a hyper seller or making those touch points about a sale how do you leverage that on the mobile side of things with the fans of the bulldogs so i think a couple of things one is always that information is currency right understanding where they are in their marketing cycle what they're trying to do who they're trying to reach again you know our we have a very strong and passionate fan base i mean our our fan base historically is number one we have the largest twitter following of any school athletic team so our twitter fan base is is very strong our facebook fan base is equally strong but it skews a little more female than male so again knowing the demographics of our different channels and then understanding where a partner might want to reach people in an authentic way. Again, that authentic way is what's most important. Um, to me, let's let's use a partnership, for instance, with, with Kroger. So for Kroger, it's important to reach people, and especially the spring as, as business shifted from in-person grocery trips to people buying mm-hmm. online and then picking up. So that that shifted for Kroger. So we talked to them and said, okay, let's let's move away from just straight banner ads and let's look at doing some social posts that are gonna reach more the female head of household dynamic that you're going after. Okay, great, that's a, that's a solid fit. And we hit the ground running and that was very successful. But then they also, you know, that, that 
that partnership piece goes a little bit further. The other thing that they wanted to do was thank their associates for all the hard work mm. and being essential frontline workers. And so that general branding then across all of our channels was a chance to use that message of thank you to our associates. We appreciate all that you've done. Thanks for being awesome. Those types of messages went throughout all of our channels to let people know that Kroger is a great place to work and they want to thank their employees for doing such a phenomenal job during really tough times. So again, having those ongoing conversations with your partners, I mean, their businesses are going to shift and change, especially this year. They've certainly shifted mm -hmm. and changed. And so you've got to have those check-in points to see how they're doing, engage what's working and what's not working. And when you're talking about your background with IMG Learfield, mm -hmm. we know that mobile is super important to them because they just bought the largest developer of game day apps in sidearm sports. Correct. You're smiling while I'm, while I'm talking about this. And I love <laughs> that because I can tell that you guys are on the right path. You get the vibe, you get the flow, and you understand where mobile messaging is going and how to utilize location in some aspects to target and reach the right people. Correct. So mobile is very important for us. Um, anything from a digital perspective is is definitely important to Learfield IMG. And the main point of that is we pride ourselves on having conversations that are 365 day a year conversations. Digital is the best platform hands down in which to do that. And that's twofold, right? That's through social, that's through just straight banner ads, game day apps, those types of things but also expanding that opportunity with our Fan365 program where we can reach out to people, which is reaching out to our fans across all of our data platforms with first party data. So the great part of that is a lot of people can tell you, oh, we've got first party data and we can reach Georgia fans. They sort of can, but we can definitely do that because it matches up against all the databases that we own through Sidearm, through Pacquiolan, through the official athletic website, we can certainly verify that that data is, is fan first and fan centric. And so that for us has been very important. Um, from a mobile messaging perspective, it's incredibly important. It's something that we've utilized and we've got great case studies on it. So I know our partners at Florida State and the University of Florida, they do some messaging at the beginning of the fourth quarter from their governor's office of highway safety of do you have a safe way home, drive sober, get pulled over messaging, those types of things. It's also great for immediate reach to fans of dogs win, you win. Mm. Tomorrow you get your free cup of, you know, Dunkin' Donuts coffee when the dogs win or 20 cents off a cup, you know, a gallon of gas, anything along those lines. So from a messaging perspective and the ability to reach people in their hand, mobile is where it's at. Um, for me, I think, if you want, you can pull that closer to you. Oh, too. yeah, yeah. I think for me, one of the biggest missed opportunities and where it, it stood out to me was the Rose Bowl a couple of years ago. So that game, the hype around that game was insane. I mean, Georgia hadn't played since, what, 1943 in the Rose Bowl. It was obviously leading up to the BCS game. So a group of friends and I flew to Las Vegas because that's as close as we could get to California. And then we drove. We landed in the Las Vegas airport and it looked like Athens on game day. <laughs> so the if we had had the ability at that point to geofence or circle our fans both there and then again in Los Angeles, that would have been amazing. And that's the that's when really the power of digital and mobile hit me of 
hey, I love our fans and we can reach them a great way, but to, to know there's clumps of our fans in different places and we can reach them, that would have been amazing. The same thing at the Notre Dame game. The Chicago, you're walking down Wacker Drive and it's go dogs, go dogs. Everybody's in red and black. You get over to Wrigley where Coach Dooley was throwing out the first pitch of the game that night and it was a sea of red and black. So, you know, the ability to go in and activate and reach fans in their hands even if it was just a go dogs type message, it's it creates that sense of tribe that mm. I think is why college sports is so fantastic. Yeah, so. there's a lot to that. <laughs> and and I think it's cool that you mentioned conversion zones or secondary locations, right? Right. Because we can serve them something in point A, but we also want them to do something at point B. Correct. So when they're traveling for a special event, a bowl game, a tournament of some sort, it's cool to still be able to provide them the value enough to engage on the go. Right. Um, but also benefit as an ad agency and benefit the team. Correct. Right. So you've seen a little bit of some software and, and how it can work mm-hmm. based on you know where people are and what they're doing. Do you see any unique opportunities to use the location-based technology with this pandemic and kind of a little bit of the uncertainty surrounding college football and the pros at this point? I think definitely. So, I mean, for us, we're certainly ramping up our digital and mobile offerings. Um, I think the ability to geofence where we know we have larger groups, say Washington, D.C. or New York or Charlotte's a big alumni hub for University of Georgia. So to be able to go in and, you know, if there were watch parties that were obviously following COVID-19 rules and restrictions, but the ability to get the word out, because again, not everybody looks at Facebook every day, not everybody looks at Twitter every day, but the ability to geofence where you hit those numbers or you hit those demographics, I think there's a tremendous amount of value there. Um, MLB was one of the first to, you know, take on and, and really do wonders with beacon technology and venue. I think that's the next thing that's coming, obviously, for college. Those stadiums were not necessarily built with wireless technology in mind, and that's the difference between pros and college. You don't see college stadiums being rebuilt every few mm-hmm. years or being upgraded because of the historic aspects of them. Sure, or renamed. Or renamed. <laughs> or renamed. We do have Dooley Field, though, now at Sanford Stadium, so that's that's good. For good reason, That's too. for good reason, yep. yeah. Um, but I think the geofencing and the geolocation is only going to get stronger and allow fans, again, to have that 365-day-a-year interaction. Because your, your fandom for UGA doesn't necessarily die in July when there's no sports active. There's still things going on. There's still things happening. There's still... Um, fan opportunities. That's historically when we released the new Nike tennis shoe. That's in and around July. So again, to geolocate people that were perhaps near a sporting goods store or those types of things that are carrying those branded merchandise aspects, that's again that total fan experience that our partners are looking for. And certainly we're looking to try and do in a strategic way that doesn't overwhelm fans because you don't want too many messages where people get turned off sure. by it. Yeah. So there's that happy kind of medium. But at the same time, we want to be able to reach fans where they are with content that's compelling to them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. In case you're just joining us, we are with Shelby Wright of IMG Learfield. We're talking about the Georgia Bulldog mobile experience that they provide 
Bulldog Nation. Go dogs, right? Go dogs. That is the proper exactly. way to say that. That right? is the proper way to say it. Yep. 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 Spell with a W if you don't know, now you know. Exactly. So we're talking about mobile engagement on the go, secondary conversion zones, and how to utilize location strategically. What are some of the broadcast functionality aspects of mobile messaging, where it's an instance where everybody benefits from a specific message to Bulldog Nation? And how have you leveraged some of those in the past? And how do you see doing that moving forward? Um, so I would say the biggest example that we have is obviously we will send out a message mobily through our app that our broadcast is beginning. So we have a long broadcast, according to the rest of our, our company. Uh, Nebraska, I think, is the only one that has a longer game day format than wow. we do. Uh, but for us, we want folks to know that our broadcast is starting because we've got different features within that broadcast and different talent throughout the t throughout the day. Um, so for us, that broadcast messaging, letting them know that the game day, the game broadcast is starting. Make sure you can tune in because you can tune in through our app. Mm -hmm. So that's a seamless way to to go in and let folks know that's obviously our broadcast is presented by a partner. So there's value there. Um, for us, I think the, the other piece of mobile messaging is any type of bounce back offer or any type of dogs win, you win promotion. Again, those are best delivered through a mobile message and then reinforced through social media or um, general brand awareness, like in stadium signage, those types of things. So for us, those have been probably the most successful also, halftime stats or mm. game score updates, those, again, are also very valuable for us and for our partners as well. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's this playbook floating around mm -hmm. the, the interwebs. The interwebs, About yeah. specific use cases mm -hmm. to kind of leverage some of these technologies, um, not only to complement each other, right. but sometimes you can utilize location. Sometimes it doesn't matter. Um, sometimes user data is super valuable. Sometimes this is a message for everybody, right? Right. Um, I just lost my thought. Sorry. Okay. That's all good. <laughs> I, that happens to me. Yeah, the playbook about mobile yeah, messaging. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you've already kind of mentioned a few of those use cases, mm -hmm. right? What are some of the other ones that you've seen as you've talked to Chief Marketing Officer Jeff Gray that kind of tickled your fancy, so to speak? Outside of Georgia, just a good general. Sure. Yeah. So I think a couple of ones. Um, you know, he and I talked about Notre Dame and the reach that Notre Dame has. For instance, Notre Dame's also one of our partner schools through our um, joint, we're joint venture with JMI. So JMI has the rights at Notre Dame. And so we work closely with, with those schools as well. And one of the things, you know, Notre Dame alumni or Notre Dame fans, self-identifying fans are everywhere. So the ability to say, all right, Notre Dame fans are landing in LA to go play USC in a normal year. The ability to geofence and go after the fans there that are coming in for the game would be phenomenal. Um, I think some of the other examples that I've seen that are effective are really tied in and around watch parties or mm. third party, kind of third party viewing. We have to be careful with those just because of rules around official game parties and watch parties, those mm. types of things from a broadcast perspective. But I think there's a tremendous amount of value there. If you're nearby or in a 20 to 25 mile area of where this official watch party is, again, it's that sense of tribe. Um, there's really powerful ones in Washington, D.C. and Chicago. You'll mm. see those where the bars are just kind of taken over and they're the true alumni bars. The ability to reach out and, 
and find those fans and let them know what's out there, I think is a, is a powerful message and one that sponsors can really get behind. How do you see the upcoming season shaping up? Because we've seen, you know, rival opinions. They're going to play the whole year. They're going to do it under certain circumstances. It's still a little bit gray. And if we haven't been paying attention, we don't know the latest. So can you kind of help fill in the world on this? Sure. So this is, you know, as of today, the day after Labor Day, um, Georgia's going to have a 25% capacity in stadium for fans. We will most likely not allow visiting fans, so band, cheer, those types of things, just to help comply with the 25% capacity. Um, you will wear masks in your seats, and you will be you will wear masks in your concourse and entering the stadium. Once you're in your seats, you're socially distant, and so you can take your mask off, and you will be in pods of two and four of tickets. I actually got a rendering of the stadium. They're starting to put in those tickets and the seat backs there for those. Um, we will have the ability to do activations. So the ability for, say, Ford to come in and drop a truck off a new F-150 because they're the official uh, truck of the Georgia Bulldogs, they would still have the ability to do that and hand out premium items. Obviously, their staff would have to be in masks and gloves and things would have to be packaged. So in that regard, we know that's happening. Our radio broadcast goes on regardless. Mm-hmm. That doesn't change. Um, I think the, the bigger thing is the hospitality rules and things that we normally do. Those are still kind of up for negotiation. It's my understanding that Georgia is going to allow tailgating for those that have a ticket and a parking pass. How that's going to be distributed quite, we're, we're supposed to have answers on that the following Monday. I've seen several things, I'm sure you have too, of people saying, well, I'm going to just, you know, I'm not going to tailgate, but I'm going to protest the opposing team. With I a love beer. That, with a beer, right. <laughs> and a car and a hot dog and a grill and a satellite TV and a tent. So don't quite know uh, the details on that. I think home gating is going to be bigger than it's ever been, for sure. And I think folks will have gatherings in their home and, and watch the game. But if you're anything like my friends, they turn the TV volume down and they turn the radio broadcast up because, again, that's that's their people, that's their tribe. Um, so, for us, it's you know how do we how do we reach fans whether they're in Sanford or they're not? Uh, I think folks are hungry for college football. I was watching BYU Navy last night and it was strange Ooh. to see um, it's strange to see a completely empty stadium except the four you know the Brigadier General and the the next in command and his wife, they showed them every commercial in and out break. I'm like, I really hope they knew they were going to be on TV this much because that was, they were the only people in the stand. So um, for us, it's certainly going to be a different experience. I don't know about piped in crowd noise with, you know, roughly 20 to 25,000 people. I think those that are there are going to be loud and excited. (laughs) Absolutely. A lot of pent up energy. A lot of pent up energy. Absolutely. So when you're talking about, you know, strategic alliances for Mm -hmm. home watch parties, Mm -hmm. that can be a little tricky for advertisers, right? So, you know, there's different kind of people at the party. How do you target a message in that scenario? I think, again, information is currency and strategy before tactics, right? Back to my monikers and my my pillars. Who are you trying to reach? What are you trying to get out of them? Is it a call to action? Is it a brand awareness play? Is it a specific redemption offer? And then let's figure out what demographics and which channels match up. Um, If people are watching from home, the, the one good thing about it is you 
typically you're not going to have to worry about a lack of signal or strength of signal from a mobile messaging standpoint. I mean, most people have Wi-Fi in their homes. Hmm, and, sure. and so you, you don't fight that battle that you do perhaps when there's 150,000 people in Athens all on game day. I think the Instagram kind of social feed of sharing what you're doing at home to feel a part of that tribe again is going to be bigger than even in years past. So I think the ability to reach people of, you know, show us your colors, show us your Georgia Bulldog pride, those types of things is going to be an even bigger play than it has been in years past. You know, you could charge for this course because I'm learning so much (laughs) from you right now. And it's really cool. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. In case you're just joining us, we are with Shelby Wright. She works for IMG Learfield and very close to the Georgia Bulldog game day mobile app. You know, you talked about fans watching on one medium, but listening on another. And I can relate. I'm from the Northeast, so we have our favorites. You know, like Harry Callis was the Phillies guy, that kind of thing. So I definitely resonate with that. How are the radio properties kind of advertising for people downloading the mobile app? Is there any strategy behind that? So I think a couple of things. One, um, we always say if you download our app, you're going to get access to our broadcast where you're going to have access to certain content and pieces from Coach Smart, former players, mm. those types of things that you're not going to get from a national tele, you know, nationally televised broadcast. So for us, it's more of the Georgia voice and perspective. You know, Our radio talent includes Scott Howard, who was with Larry Munson, who is our legendary broadcaster for years. Mm. Um, most of our crew was was with Larry as well. And then you have Kevin Butler, who was on the national championship team. You have Jeff Dantzler, who's like the unspoken guru of all things Georgia history, sports history related. So for us, you, you've got unique voices that are coming into our broadcast that you're not going to hear on a national broadcast. Um, so for, for us, that's the value of encouraging people to download our app. And that's certainly where we encourage. We also have some chat forums and certainly some specials and some redemption offers there on the radio portion that you can only get there. And so again, to drive people to listen to our broadcast, or for instance, you know, if people are going to be watching from somewhere that they're not normally watching, say a rental beach house or a mountain house or something along those lines, the ability to stream it through the app, whereas you don't necessarily know that you have all the comforts of home or Mm. you're in the car or those types of things, there's certainly value there as well. And are you guys doing much in the way of providing like mobile only offers, kind of driving people to utilize that, that medium instead of radio or television? So we don't necessarily push mobile only, but most of our partners are going to say, Hey, this is a mobile opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. So Take Dunkin' Donuts, for instance. When I worked on their partnership at Tennessee, one of the main things that they were doing, this is roughly 2014, 2015, their app was just coming out. So their goal was downloads and, and user acquisition, right? So we created the Vols Win, You Win promotion where if, if Tennessee won, the next day you got a free cup of hot or iced coffee. Mm-hmm. It was only redeemable on the app. That way that creates seamless, seamless redemption at yep. the part of the store. There's no ticket. There's no something that you have to remember. So the mobile only piece is incredibly value from the perception and the perspective of the local Dunkin' Donuts is not having to do anything. Say the people working that day are not Georgia Bulldog fans or they're not Tennessee fans. All they know is this person gets a free coffee on on the app. And so 
on the back end, Duncan gets to see, okay, we got X number of redemptions this day, mm. X number of downloads this week, X number of whatever. Now we tied to that a pair of season tickets to generate excitement about the promotion and then also generate, you know, hey, this is Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts is giving you season tickets to Tennessee football. That's where you sit down and talk and have those conversations with your partners of what's important to you right now. What what are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? Who are you trying to reach? And therein that promotion was born. I think more and more of our partners are going to move to that mobile redemption just because it, it also offers immediate, I like to say ROO, which is return on opportunity. Mm. People love ROI, but not every single thing is going to have a one-to-one return. If you're trying to create brand awareness and, and create and carve out your niche in the marketplace, some of that's return on opportunity to being exposed to those fans. I mean, I know my rule of thumb thumb with sales is I'm probably going to reach out to someone seven to ten times before I get a response. <laughs> and so from a brand perspective, you have to think of all the messages that you receive every day to say – we put a message in front of Georgia fans and why didn't they immediately download or respond to it? That's that's a little bit unrealistic. But that return on opportunity piece is, it's that repetition and frequency, as my old boss Steve Early used to say, no matter how you do it, repetition and frequency is where it's at. So a few key points here. Sure. Strategy before tactics. Absolutely. Info is currency. Absolutely. And Rue over Roy. Exactly. Okay. Rue over Roy. I like it. Yeah. I, Maybe I should have bumper stickers made out of these. You really should. I really should. Absolutely. Should. Absolutely. You, you heard it here first. <laughs> it's going to happen. This is awesome. You know, we did tease earlier. Right. You know, perhaps a, a unique setting and situation where you got to see a side of Vince Dooley that not many of us have ever had an opportunity to see and never will. Oh, yes. I have plenty of those. Um, also, it's Mrs. Dooley's birthday today. So very happy oh. birthday to Barbara. She's key to the success of that overall relationship, too. I think a couple of things. I think a lot of people don't realize or didn't realize that Coach Dooley always audited a class. So he was a big believer in lifelong learning, and that made a huge impression on me. I'm, I'm still always reading and learning and listening to podcasts and trying to learn more. When I worked for him, he was on the tail end of his herpetology phase, which is snakes. Hmm. And I don't really like to cohabitate with serpents, so hmm. I was not keen on that. And he had kind of moved to horticulture and gotten interested in gardening. And so he would attend class unless there was just something truly presenting, preventing him from attending class. And if that was the case, then myself or one of the other student assistants in his office would go attend for him and take notes. So while I was not majoring in horticulture, I spent two and a half years taking auditing horticulture classes right along beside him. And so now I know all kinds of Latin names of plants and what to do in my garden and all of those things. But I think the, the biggest piece of that is the passion that Coach Dooley had for lifelong learning. He and Mrs. Dooley both. Hmm. And, you know, they also really put their money where their mouth is as far as supporting UGA and, you know, with their large gift that they've given to the library there at Georgia and their ongoing support of, of causes that they're passionate about. They're truly died in the wool Bulldog fans, even though, you know, Coach went to Auburn. It's cool to know, like, those inside things. Right. You know? 
I was thinking about alumni because mm-hmm. you, you mentioned um, passing classes and and with that comes just a, a wave of people that have learned so much from people like Vince Dooley along the way. Right. But they graduate, right? right? They're proud of the alma mater. They got the bumper sticker on their Hyundai. Here we go. Dog season starting. Right. On their Ford, right? On, on yeah, the, on oh, the on, Ford. I'm sorry. On there the Ford. On their Ford. On the yeah. Ford. Yes. Yeah. Ford only products. Right. Exactly. But it kind of comes down to advertisers reaching them, right? Because alumni generally have the degree right so they probably have the job right and they have the money sure so what are some strategies that img learfield and the georgia bulldog game day app what what are some of those that they're utilizing to kind of assist the alumni in parting ways with some of their money sure well i think there's two things right there's alumni and then there's what we call what i call sidewalk alumni Hmm. sidewalk alumni to me are people that if you ask them who's their team they're going to say the georgia bulldogs or the tennessee volunteers or the ohio state buckeyes or you know texas longhorns they may have never gone to a game they may have never been on campus Mm -hmm. but they grew up a georgia fan a texas fan a notre dame fan notre dame has a tremendous amount of sidewalk alumni and don't discount the sidewalk alumni. No. Because they may have gone to another school, but they bleed red and black or they bleed burn orange and white. So again, it's it's all in finding out who your demographic is. Are you interested in them having a degree? Or are you interested in them having a fan affiliation? Mm. So those are equally important because our alumni numbers don't necessarily match our fan numbers, right? There's not as many living alumni as there are Georgia Bulldog fans, right? And and most large schools have that same issue, right? It doesn't necessarily, it's not a one-to-one scenario. So for us, it's where do our fans live, interact? What mediums and channels do they interact the most with? And historically, that's social media that's digital that's mobile those types of things a lot of our fans that listen to our radio broadcast are not necessarily alumni so for us it's how do we reach them in the channel in which they're most active and that's what i like to talk to folks about you know i'm working with a partner right now the atlanta north georgia building trades council and ibew and they're phenomenal partners but for them their message is twofold one they want you to know the value of their workers and two they're trying to recruit new workers because their workforce is aging out. Mm. And so how do we reach those 16 to 24 year olds? Well, we reach them on Twitter because that's where they're most active. So again, those people haven't even had a chance to become an alum yet of the University of Georgia, but we still want to have a conversation with them in the, in the space in which they're the most active. I love that you put the demographic with the channel. You said that earlier. <laughs> And when they match up, it's it's marketing. It's the and ad- That's it. It's the holy trinity. It's holy. Yeah. It yeah. is. It, yeah. no, no doubt about it. So what are some other that you've found in the recent past, you know, for aspiring marketers that are mm-hmm. taking the time to listen to this podcast? What could be some, you know, connections between target demographic and specific channels matching up that you have kind of uh, realized in the last few months or year? So for me, um, we have a new partnership as of last year with Southeast Mortgage, Mm -hmm. and they are the official home loan lender of the Georgia Bulldogs. And the great thing about them is they are committed to social content, and they generate a tremendous amount of social content every day. And so for for them, it's been most powerful to, to interact on Facebook and Twitter, but Facebook for the most part, because again, they're targeting folks that are purchasing a home or refinancing a home, and that's where our demographics match up. 
their CEO is actually a Georgia Tech graduate. So it's very interesting that, you know, when we, when I sat down with it, with them and, and him in particular, when I sat down with him, he said, now, while I'm a Georgia Tech graduate, when I look at your numbers and who we know is our target demographic, the numbers don't lie. Yep. And the numbers say the University of Georgia. And so really that's what propelled that conversation. And so for, for us is helping them find ways to, generate content that reinforces their alignment with the University of Georgia from a brand awareness standpoint and reinforces that they are the official home loan lender of the Georgia Bulldogs. They have an endorsement with Coach Smart, so that certainly helps because Coach is our most visible face of athletics Sure. Um, besides our, our athletic director, Greg McGarity. And so for them, it's reinforcing that partnership as often as possible on their social media channels and through our social media channels. Primarily with us, it's been Facebook because it matches up from a demographic perspective. So this is kind of a tricky one, but since you're here, I figured I'd ask, why not, right? Sure. You know, we've all seen stories about college athletes and, you know, the inability to make money off of their name, their likeness, and their abilities. Well, some argue they're getting a free tuition and room and board. You've heard the arguments. I don't need to rehash those. Sure. But based off what you're seeing and the trend therein, what do you think is ultimately going to happen in the near future as it pertains to collegiate athletes making money off of their abilities, likeness, and image? So a couple of things. One, I think the conversation is much needed and should be had. I think when you look at the numbers of Division One student athletes in top 25 programs, they're historically first in their family to attend college. That's a powerful demographic right there. Um, my biggest concern is that they aren't given bad information. These are 17, 18, 19 year old kids. And I don't know about you, but I didn't make every best decision at those ages. Me either. Um, I think for our business, it creates opportunity, but it also creates a tremendous amount of challenge. One is, let's let's use the University of Georgia, for instance. Coca-Cola is our official soft drink partner. If somebody were to come in and offer the star running back or star wide receiver a contract with Pepsi, how, how is that going to work? Mm. What is that going to look like? And are they being given the right information to value their brand effectively. For me, it, it's a couple of things. It's one of the reasons I'm, I'm passionate about the Game Changer Foundation, of which I'm a board member of. It's something that Rennie Curran started. I would highly recommend talking to him, too, as a former student athlete. What we're trying to do is work with students all the way along in the process, right? From the recruiting process through college, say you're lucky enough to go to the pros and play in the NFL or MLB or WNBA or any of those things and you get cut in year one or year two and perhaps you haven't finished your degree or you don't know what your next move is going to be mm. because this is your dream and your dream suddenly now is over at 23 or 22 what does that look like so that's something that's very close to my heart because i've seen a lot of those stories not end well mm. and that's my biggest concern is that unscrupulous agents or friends or entourages student athletes with the wrong information or maybe not the full picture you know there's a law in Hollywood called Coogan's law which is protects underage and minor child stars so that <laughs> mom ironic. and dad right yeah that mom <laughs> and dad don't 
or managers don't take all their money and leave them with nothing. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I'm hopeful that something similar will be developed for collegiate athletes as well, because not every school is like Georgia, and I applaud what Georgia's doing, which is if you attend UGA as a student athlete and you want to return, we'll let you come finish your degree, Mm. quote, on scholarship. And that's also a nod back to Coach Dooley and his push to getting a tremendous amount of scholarships endowed um, so that that Georgia has the, the fiscal ability to do that. But not every school has that. So for me, those are my biggest worries and concerns about the monetization of student athletes. Personally, and this is my opinion, there's a value to the education that they receive, but I also understand they can't go do an internship. They can't go do mm-hmm. any of the things that a, quote, normal student could go do and figure out, hey, I, th- I, th- I thought I liked business, but I, I don't really like business. I like economics better or I like history better or I don't really enjoy this career path I think I would like to go into broadcast Mm -hmm. so I mean all of those things I think are challenging for student athlete and the amount of work that they put in on a weekly basis is a tremendous stunning amount that I don't think the average fan realizes no that's so true that's exactly what my next question was going to be so I'm going to skip that question and go on to the next one (laughs) that was easy which (laughs) such a win with you in studio I love your energy (laughs) so good so you know this is a question that everybody wants to know this could literally be a course you pay for at UGA or anywhere right honestly this is real world marketing application right what advice would you give to the generation who's paying thousands of dollars to listen to professors talk at them about marketing. What's some real world advice that they won't get in a marketing class? That's what I mean. I think the biggest thing is, is go shadow, go ask, find somebody. I mean, there's a young lady that her name is Jordan Tor, and she reached out to me on LinkedIn when she was a junior and just said, I would love to talk to you for 15 minutes and learn more about you. She and I, that's, that was probably six, seven years ago. We're still friends today. Certainly our relationship has changed, but the fact that she took the time to reach out, crafted a note, asked me what I liked about my job, what I didn't like about my job. I'm, I'm very honest. I mean, I'm in sales. That's what I do. I sell, I sell things. I try and create marketing partnerships. I'm I'm not telling Kirby what to do on third and long. That's not, (laughs) that's not my job. Run a draw. Right. Exactly. So if if that's what you think sports marketing is, I want to educate you on that's, that's not what it is. That's not at least what I do. So for me, I think the biggest thing is seek people out in a line of work or a field of work that you have an interest in. And I think at least my, my industry, we're very receptive to that. And we're, we're happy to take 15, 20 minutes to talk to somebody or, or 30 minutes, meet for a cup of coffee, et cetera. But I think that's the most important thing. I've impressed that upon my goddaughter, who's a senior at Georgia Tech, you know, reach out to people and ask them, what do they like about their job? What do they not like about their job? What do they wish they had taken or learned about when they were in school? I think that real world piece of it is really, really important. And it also helps you find your home and your niche as you enter the job market versus, you know, I went and did all these classes and took all these things and were involved in all these organizations that may or may not help you narrow down your field of choice. So let's get personal with Shelby. Okay. This is the director's cut. Okay. okay? Like so it. this is exclusive content here. This is exclusive here. content. Is this outtakes and trailers? This or? is outtakes yeah, okay. and trailers. Absolutely. Okay. How would you answer some of those questions? You know, like, what do you love about your job? Obviously, IMG Learfield's amazing, you know, but what do you love about your job? 
the people that I I get to meet. I mean, I love talking to people. So for me, the ability to to get to know people in all different industries, learn about their industry, what makes them tick, what makes their business, what moves the needle for their business, that's the number one thing that I enjoy on a daily basis. I, I like finding new potential partners. I like that aspect of it. Uh, a friend of mine used to call me like Dora the Explorer when I would go look up potential partners. I enjoy the research yeah. factor of it. So for me, those are those are the things that I like the most. I think the, the best compliment I have is when a, a partner would refer me to someone else, and that's a huge honor, and I, I don't take those recommendations or referrals lightly. The other pieces I, I like, I really love seeing a partnership come to life and what that looks like. And so I'm always cautious to tell people, you know, let, I'd love to spend all of your budget with me, but let's leave mm-hmm. room for, you know, premium items or activation to do it, do things the right way. So for me, those are the things that I, I love the most about my job. Uh, and, and I'm fortunate enough to have friendships with some of my partners, which that's a, that's a huge honor as well. And stay friends with them after I've moved on or they've moved on or moved to new locations or new, new businesses as well. So, I mean, for me, that's, that's certainly what I enjoy most about my job. This has literally been one of the most spectacular interviews I've ever conducted. <laughs> well, thank you. I don't say that a lot. I want you to okay, know Okay, I appreciate that. And to prove it, you'll have to listen to all 80 other okay, podcasts. Okay, I'll listen to all done. 80 tonight. It's good. <laughs> right. My friends, it's been an absolute honor, pleasure, and treasure to be with Shelby Wright. Of Learfield IMG College, also known as Georgia Bulldog Sports Marketing. So visit us at georgiadogs.com for more information. And what are some ways that people can connect with you personally and perhaps do some business with your agency other than the listing you just provided? Sure. You can find me on LinkedIn, Shelby Wright. That's easy. Or you can certainly find me on our website, georgiadogs.com. You can reach out that way as well. And any of our social media channels or my personal social media channel, if you'd like, mine is Ginja, red hair, G-I-N-J-A-S Wright on Instagram and Twitter. Awesome. And that's W-R-I-G-H-T. Yes. Thank you so much for your time today, Shelby. It's been an absolute pleasure. No problem. Thanks so much. I appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening to Simple Tech Talk. Visit us online at boardactive.com and follow us on the socials. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.